Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Hey everyone, it's great to be back together again and we're going to continue our Holy Spirit series. We're going to look at a clip in just a moment, but before we do, I just want to take this opportunity for us to pray together. Uh, If you've been looking at the news headlines lately, you'll see and know that our world is hurting and there is a lot of brokenness all across the earth and we just want to take a moment to pray. So would you join your faith with mine? And let's come into agreement and let's believe in faith that prayer will actually move mountains, mountains of racism, mountains of injustice, mountains of virus and pandemics, mountains of restrictions that are in our country right now. We are believing that God is going to bring everything we've been declaring and singing today. He is a God of revival. And the Bible says, Oh God, will you not revive us again so that we may praise you? We need a move of God across the earth. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's pray together and believe that our God of revival will revive hearts all across the earth. Let's pray. Father, we just lift up to you right now our planet. Lord, this is the planet that you've given to us. You've made us in your image and after your likeness. We all have inherent value and worth as human beings. And God, we just come against, Lord, the hatred and the racism that we see across the earth. Lord, we come against, oh God, the agenda of Satan to divide and to destroy and to bring discord amongst people, God's people, all different people groups across the earth. And Father, we come to you at this time and we declare your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask, oh God, that Lord, the church at this time would not be silent, but Lord, we would have a reason for the hope that we have. Father, I pray that we would keep focusing our own attention and the world's attention to the solution to the world's problems. And that is a living, breathing encounter with the way, the truth and the life of Jesus Christ. God, we are asking for you to move by the power of your spirit. Lord, don't just move in our hearts, move in our world today. Lord, all across the earth, we need, Lord, not just a visitation of the spirit, we need a revival. We need a move of God. Lord, come and abide with us and let us abide with you. Father, I thank you that you poured out your spirit 2,000 years ago, that your presence for every believer is living inside of us. But God, we want to do more than just acknowledge that. We want to live this out. We want to practice our faith. We want to declare, oh God, in agreement and in faith, oh God, your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love. Father, I pray today that wherever we are, whatever restrictions we're facing across the earth, whatever is going on right now in our neighbourhoods, in our cities and in our nations. Father, I pray today, may the love of Jesus break out of our hearts, break out of our lives. Lord, let there be an invasion of the kingdom of your love in people's hearts and lives. Lord, we come against the hostility that we see across the earth and we speak your peace, oh God.
God across the earth. And we thank You that, Lord, history belongs to those who pray. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that as we even come into a season of closer 21 days prayer and fasting in the coming weeks, God, we are asking for a supernatural shift, oh God. Lord, not only in the city of Melbourne, Lord, not only in Perth and Bangkok, Lord, not only in the nations that our mission partners are in, but we're asking, Lord, for the United States of America. We're asking, oh God, for Europe and Africa and Asia, oh God. We are asking, oh God, for the Middle East. We are asking, oh God, for a move of your spirit like never before. And so, Father, as we come around your word right now, God, would you renew our minds? Would you transform our hearts? Would you make us more like Jesus? Would you help us to understand your word as your spirit illuminates to us again today, the power of your word, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow. It's able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. God, come and speak to your people today. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying, in Jesus' name we pray. And wherever you are, everybody says, Amen. Well, I want to invite you to keep looking to the screens and why don't you watch this short, brief clip on our Holy Spirit series. Peace, be still. Jesus once spoke this to the violent storm that sought to fling us into the murky ocean depths. And when he left us, still the storm came. In the waiting, my heart stormed as it yearned for something that I never knew I'd decide before. The cords of selfish ambition and doubt within me were severed as he disappeared into the clouds and a new cord drove me down to my knees in supplication and holy surrender. And on our knees is where we were found as the Holy Spirit came down. The sound like a rushing wind filled our ears and tongues of fire descended upon our heads, each of us being transformed into a holy temple housing His presence. We began to utter words we had never heard before and spoke with wisdom that was not our own. We travelled to places we had only ever heard of and preached to people we once believed could never be reached. And the yearning has never stopped. For until he returns, far and wide we will spread the word with the Holy Spirit as our guide. We will cover the earth. Well, I want to invite you to open up your Bible and join with me as we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read through to, uh, from verse 19 through to verse 21, just three short verses, but these verses are powerful. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 through to verse 21. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. I'm going to read that again to you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. I want to speak to you today on the subject of fire extinguisher. Fire extinguisher. It was just a few weeks ago 
that I really felt the Holy Spirit put this word on my heart so powerfully for our church. And uh, I've written about this in my book, The Supernatural Life, but I really felt like God gave me some new insight into this passage of Scripture. And I want us to really unpack it and look at it because I believe God is trying to say something to us as Numa Church, but also to the Church of Jesus Christ all across the earth. It was several years ago that I was awakened in the middle of the night to a sizzling noise outside of our house. And it was literally about 3 a.m. in the morning, and uh, when all should be peaceful and quiet, it was quite alarming when you wake up, Pastor Luke, to a sizzling noise outside your front bedroom window. And so I went to the window, and I checked it out, and literally the power lines were on fire. And the telephone pole was going up in flames. And I thought, fantastic. This is my Exodus chapter 3, burning bush, Moses moment. And I'm going to hear from God. And so I got up and I walked outside in my PJs, and I started to draw near to the burning telephone pole. And as I was drawing near, trying to lean in, obviously I was keeping a safe distance, wasn't too sure whether it was the devil or God or just a fire. But as I was drawing near uh, and trying to lean in, all I could hear, to be honest, was a whole lot of sizzling. And when I realized that God wasn't speaking through the burning telephone pole, I decided it's time to call the fire department and actually get some help. And so while we're waiting for the fire department to come, I'm there watching this epic scene in front of me in the middle of the night. And as I'm watching this, this fire is starting to pick up some momentum. But I look around and no one else knows what's going on. Everyone else is asleep in their homes, oblivious to this fire that was burning in our street. And I began to think about that when it comes in a positive sense to the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The same thing can happen in our lives as believers is the fire burns, but we are oblivious to it. We're spiritually asleep to the power of the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And whilst the fire may burn and whilst God wants to do something, if we're not spiritually awake, if we're not sober-minded, if we're not uh, awakened to the reality of the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're going to miss what God wants to do. All throughout the book of Revelation, particularly in those first few chapters, there's this statement, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Churches. And God is saying something to you today. God is wanting to come to your heart, knock on your door and speak to you a word in season for your life. But you've got to have an ear to hear what the Spirit wants to say to you. You know, when I was itinerant and traveling every single week to a different city, different church, different conference, I was aware of the different spiritual atmospheres that I would encounter in those meetings and services. And so I would preach a message that I had prepared that God put upon my heart in one church and signs and wonders would follow that word. There'd be prophecy, there'd be healings, there'd be salvations, there'd be a move of God. There'd be all sorts of uh, hunger from the people. The altars would be filled, lives would be changed. But then maybe the next week I'd go to another church and I'd preach that same message and same amount of prayer, same amount of focus and uh, preparedness in all that I was going to minister that weekend. 
And yet, there was this attitude that was almost like, bless me if you can. Let's see what this young whippersnapper from Melbourne is actually going to serve up to us. And there was this attitude of indifference and this spiritual apathy that would actually come against not just me, but the word. And it didn't matter how much that I prayed or how much that I prepared myself, where there was no hunger, where there was no receptivity and expectation for that word, that word actually had little effect in their lives. And this is what I learned through all those years of ministry. Whilst the Holy Spirit is sovereign God over the affairs of humanity, he permits us to restrict or release his manifest presence in our lives and in the atmosphere of our gatherings as believers based upon our attitude, our response, our hunger and our spiritual passion or spiritual indifference. And Paul, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, is addressing their attitude towards the moving of the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Now, that word quench in the Greek actually means to extinguish. It means to snuff out like you would snuff out a candle. It means to put an end to. Literally, that passage means do not put out the Spirit's fire. To quench the Spirit literally is to become a spiritual fire extinguisher. And we're going to be careful that in our own lives and in our own ministries, in our church gatherings, in our families, in every single area of our lives, we've got to watch that we don't become that spiritual fire extinguisher that actually puts out the burning flame of God upon our hearts. You see, the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 6, five times in Leviticus 6, it says, the fire on the altar must never go out. The fire on the altar must never go out. In other words, God supplies the fire, but our response keeps it burning. God supplies the fuel, everything we need, but we actually have a responsibility to keep that fire burning in our church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our lives. Your fire is your responsibility. I can't stoke your fire for you. You can't live vicariously through my fire. I can't actually help you uh, to, to keep your fire burning if you are not taking an active responsibility to keep the fire of your own, the altar of your own heart, the fire of your own walk with God burning in your life. Your fire is your responsibility. My fire is my responsibility. And so we've got to understand what is it in our lives that will actually quench the Holy Spirit. I read that passage and I asked myself, so how do I, how do we as a church quench the Holy Spirit? And whilst Paul gives us some insight in this passage, and we're going to deal with that in a moment, I began to look at the, the wider, uh, I guess, revelation of Scripture and go, okay, what does God reveal in the Word of God about this idea of quenching the Holy Spirit? And so firstly, we quench the Holy Spirit when we replace the spontaneity of the Spirit with the structure of man. Let me say this again. 
We quench the Holy Spirit when we replace the spontaneity of the Spirit with the structure of man. Now, if you just go with me to 1 Corinthians 14, 39 to 40, let me just read a couple of verses to you because Paul's got something to say about this. But often this has been misinterpreted. He says in verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 14, So, my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, often the church has embraced that last verse, the back half of those few verses, and not necessarily embraced the first half of those verses about not forbidding speaking in tongues, earnestly desiring prophecy. And, and sometimes as believers, we've misinterpreted this idea of all things should be done decently and in order as we should exercise control over the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, wherever you see control when it comes to a religious spirit or the structure of man, it's because there is fear and ignorance behind that control. Whatever you and I are ignorant of when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, there will be fear. And what we fear, there will be control. That's why the, the Bible tells us that if there is control or if there is fear, that fear hasn't come from the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but a power, love, and self-control. If you're afraid of the things of the Holy Spirit and you are exercising control in a way that's quenching the spontaneity of the Spirit from your life, you've got to know that fear hasn't come from God. God's not given you a spirit of fear. That fear comes from the pit of hell. That fear comes from the adversary of your soul. Or that fear comes from your own insecurity and lack of identity in Christ Jesus because when you come into a revelation of who you are in God, perfect love casts out all fear in your life and all of a sudden you start to yield yourself and open yourself up to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us have been to a camp. It could be a school camp. It could be a youth camp where we've gathered around the campfire and we have a little fire pit today, really believing and praying. We don't burn the entire property down. That's why we've got a fire extinguisher here. Not that we are promoting being a fire extinguisher when it comes to the things of the Spirit, but you need to take practical precaution, don't you, Pastor Luke? You really do. And so all of us have been at a camp of some kind and we've gone and sat around that campfire and generally it happens on a Saturday night post the you know the night session where the Holy Spirit moves powerfully and everyone gathers around the campfire at midnight and every young man thinks it's their opportunity to hold hands with a pretty girl around the campfire as we have a holy moment before God and sing kumbaya don't knock it it worked for me and so there we are we're gathered around the campfire but you realize very quickly if you don't keep stoking the fire then it will quickly go out. You also learn, if you do a little bit of research, that what makes the fire burn is space between the wood. And so if there's no space between the wood, then actually all of the wood crammed in together suffocates the fire. 
This is what I've learned. When we pack so much into our lives, when we pack so much into our services that we've got no space, no room for the fire of the Holy Spirit to move and do what he wants to do, we suffocate the fire. We become a fire extinguisher and we don't even really realize what we're doing. It's not thus says the diary or thus says the run sheet. It's thus says the Lord. It's what God wants you to do. In John 5, 19, Jesus said, the son can only ever do that which he sees his father doing. In other words, his diary was informed. His schedule was informed by what his father was showing him to do, not by the expectations of people around about him, not by his own uh, ambitions and pressure that he felt within himself to achieve a certain thing, but it was the spirit of God that was leading Jesus and directing him. And this is what I've learned. The moment you start to structure your life in such a way that you've got no room and no space for the things of the Spirit, you actually limit the spontaneity of the working of the Spirit in your life. When the Holy Spirit wants to show up and speak and move and and have His way in your life, it will often come in a very spontaneous way. And I want to live with this flexibility, this, this awareness that at any given moment, I will need to adapt to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Because at the end of the day, it's the, the, the Holy Spirit's church. And, and I am the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. My body, all that I am, it belongs to Him. I've been bought with a price. I do not belong to myself. I'm not building my kingdom, my empire. I'm actually simply facilitating what God wants to do in my life and in the ministry that I lead. Let us be adaptable. Let us be flexible to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but we quench the Holy Spirit when we minimize the supernatural manifestation of the Spirit. And that's what Paul was addressing. If you go back with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 20 and 21, he says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. You see, like some believers, and maybe even this has been a wrestle for you personally, the Thessalonians were putting down prophecy. They were putting down the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in part, they were doing that because the gift was being abused. And because of abuse of the gift, they said, you know what? I think we'll just shove that gift under the carpet. Let's put it in the attic and lock the door, throw away the key. We don't need that gift anymore because it's been abused. People have been hurt. Makes us feel a little bit afraid. Well, sometimes my ignorance of how to use my MacBook actually leads me to abuse it. Does anyone else feel my pain here today? I'm not exactly Steve Jobs or Bill Gates when it comes to how I use my computer. I know some things, but the rest of the things I refer to my EA, Kai, and he helps me out with my MacBook. But sometimes I'm there at my desk trying to work on something and my MacBook does something that I don't understand. How did we get from here to there? And, and this is very frustrating to me. And But because I'm filled with the Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit are developing in my life, we exercise the fruit of self-control. We don't pick it up and just throw it out the window, Pastor Steve. We actually exercise self-control. We pray. We ask for help. We ask for the IT department to come. We, we get what we need. But when you're ignorant of how something works in your life, you're either prone to ignore it or abuse it. 
when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the prophetic, if you are ignorant of how it works, if you're not informed about the mature expression of that gift, it will actually cause you to be afraid of it and ultimately will cause you to abuse it. Listen, the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't the problem. A lack of mature expression around the gifts are the problem. And let's not be a people that if we don't necessarily understand it or we don't necessarily are familiar with it, simply put it away and say, that's in the too hard basket. I don't get it. I don't understand it. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit are irrelevant. No, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the supernatural abilities that you need in your life to be a witness for Christ, to do all that he has called you to do. The gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't the problem. It's a lack of maturity around the gifts. And that's why we've got to know the word. God's word is our foundation. 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul says, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. In other words, he's saying, I'm about to teach you something, Corinth, that is going to remove your ignorance, that is going to actually help you not to abuse the gifts because I'm going to teach you and show you how these gifts are actually to operate. The answer to the misuse of the gifts is not the non-use, it's the proper use. We've actually got to bring the gift of God be it prophecy, be it tongues, be it healing, be it the gift of faith, be any of the gifts, we're going to bring it into the light. And we're going to say, okay, God teach us about this gift. How do we maturely engage with this gift? How do we understand it? And we're going to be taught, we're going to educate ourselves, and we're going to step out in faith and practice our gifts. James Gole, a prophetic author, says this, for too long the church has been a non-profit organisation because of the abuse and isolation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and particularly the gift of prophecy. Can I just tell you at Newman Church, we are not a non-profit uh, organization when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We may be legally according to our compliance in the government, but when it comes to the government of heaven, we are a for-profit organization that wants to see the power of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life, in this church, in our gatherings. We were birthed in the power of the Holy Spirit and we are going to continue in that power in every single area of our lives because the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't primarily for just our gatherings. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are to empower our witness to a world that is hurting and broken and desperately needs to know of the love and power of Jesus Christ in their lives. Let's not be a people that quench the Spirit because we minimise the manifestation of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Not only that, but we quench the Holy Spirit when we tear people down rather than build people up. We quench the working and moving of the Holy Spirit when we tear people down rather than build them up. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, just listen to this. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mounts, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you realize that when you encourage people, you're extending grace to them? When you're actually calling out purpose and destiny in people's lives, you're extending grace to them? 
When you choose to overlook an offense because love covers a multitude of sins, you're extending grace into people's lives. And then what Paul does in verse 30, he aligns this idea of corrupting talk coming out of our mouths about people with grieving the Holy Spirit. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, and has personality and feelings and emotions and can actually be grieved by whom, Paul says, you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let me just read a couple more verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. This is what I've learned about the moving of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in my own life. The quickest way to send the dove away is to point the finger at people and tear them down and criticize them. You can't in one moment have a prayer that says, God, will you revive us again? Would you move by the power of your Holy Spirit? And 20 minutes later, be tearing people down and actually criticizing them and being cynical and suspicious and skeptical of people, holding people off at arm's length and expect that God is going to honor that prayer for revival. The quickest way to send the dove away is to actually tear people down with our words. James chapter 3 has a lot to say about this. In verse 9, it says, With our mouths we bless our Lord, and with our mouths we curse people made in the likeness of God. And James says, These things should not be. They can't come from the same spring of water of our hearts, defiled, bitter, polluted waters, and healthy, pure, living water, and expect that God is going to honour that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what, you, what is really going on in your heart, the health of your heart, whether it's toxic or whether it's healthy, just check the words that are coming out of your mouth. And if you find yourself oriented towards a critical worldview where everyone and everything is just filtered through the critique of your perception, your worldview, constantly pulling people down, elevating yourself above others, could it be that we need the rivers of living water to come and cleanse us again, that we need forgiveness and we need to repent, we need a change of mind and a change of heart in order to have a change of confession out of our mouth? I don't think we really understand how powerful our words are and what we speak about people. There was a study conducted uh, with two research groups by a university that actually um, sent these two different groups into two separate rooms. And in each of these rooms was a living plant. Same type of plant, same type of soil, same type of temperature in that room, received the same type of care as it applies to practical watering it every day at the same time. But these two research groups were asked to go in and to do two different things. One research group was to go in and to actually encourage and exhort uh, with their words this plant. They were to play classical music. They were to praise this plant. They were to encourage this plant to grow. They'd go up and whisper sweet nothings to the plant. 
They'd go and do all that they could to try and help this plant to grow. But the other research group went in to their uh, plant room and they started to curse the plant, commanding the plant to die, playing death metal music in that plant, doing all sorts of things with their words, telling out how ugly it was and, and, and actually cursing the plant. And within seven days, the plant that had life spoken to it was producing fruit and life, but the other plant was actually cursed to its death. Proverbs 18.21 says, the power of life and death is in your tongue and is in your mouth. And the moment that you and I start to tear people down, we quench the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the moment we start to encourage and exhort and and center our uh, confession upon those things that build people up, we literally create a highway for the Holy Spirit to begin to move in our lives. And out of a spirit of honor for people, we see God come and bring revival and move powerfully. If you are praying for something and there is a delay of answer, you need to ask yourself the question, is there something in my confession and in my heart towards people that I need to repent of and bring before God? Because God wants to answer prayers that come from a pure heart, that come from a humble heart, and that comes from a place that honors people. Can I encourage us to watch our words? Because God is going to hold us accountable for every careless word we say. And I just believe in a principle, if you can't say it with the person standing next to you, probably don't say it. But if you can say it, and, and, and you know that that'd be a fair thing and an okay thing to talk about, even speaking the truth in love, then say it. But if you can't say it, with that person standing next to you, and if it comes from a mean spirit, it actually is going to be something that quenches the Holy Spirit in your life. Not only that, but we quench the Holy Spirit when we neglect the spiritual gift that God's given to us. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.14, let's read it. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You see, when we neglect the gift that God has given to us, if you're a believer in Jesus today, you have a gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have a gift from heaven in your life. When you neglect that, you are quenching the work of the Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, there will always be evidence. So you can't be hit, you know, you can't have an encounter with a Mack truck and not be permanently affected by that, right? When, when, and the Holy Spirit is like the cosmic Mack truck of the universe, right? And when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and He fills you and empowers you, rest assured, there's going to be a difference. There's going to be evidence of that in your life. There's going to be like that spiritual divine chainsaw that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago. And with that, it's not only going to come the power of speaking in tongues, but it's going to come the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the gifts of the Spirit is God's not only gift to you, charisma freely given, it's God's revelation to the world of His power working through you. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.6 that we are to fan into flame, stir up the gift of God 
which is in you. If you don't stir up the gift of God within you, you're going to be like that spiritual fire extinguisher that, that extinguishes the flame and the fire of the Holy Spirit. But when you take the, when you see that your fire is your responsibility, when you actually understand that you have a part to play in this, to stir up the gift of God within you, then you realize I can't just passively let this gift happen. I actually have to partner with it. For those of you who may drink tea or coffee and you may have a sugar in your tea and coffee, any of you will know that you can put a sugar or two in your coffee, in your latte or in your cup of tea. But if you don't stir it up, Jade, if you don't stir it, I know that you probably stir up your sugar. If you don't stir it up, then you're actually not going to be able to taste the sweetness. Well, the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. How are people going to taste and see that God is good if you don't stir up the gift of God within you, if you don't fan into flame the anointing that is upon your life? What God has put in you, you've got to stir up through you. You've got to stir up inside of you to work through you. Why? Because an impression of the Spirit without an expression of the Spirit, it's going to leave a depression in your spirit. And there's lots of believers who are depressed in their walk with God. They're bored in their walk with God. And I say to people, if you're bored in your relationship with God, bored with the church, bored with your ministry, that's no one else's fault except your fault because God expects you to stir up the gift of God within you. He expects you to actually make yourself available and start serving the kingdom of God with whatever gifts or abilities or availability that you have. And before you excuse yourself thinking, what have I got to offer? God specializes in taking the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. People who feel disqualified, he qualifies by the power of his Holy Spirit. People who feel like they've got nothing to offer as they begin to obey the Holy Spirit and bring their gifts to the, to the table of what it is that God is asking them to and start to stir up that gift within them. You watch what God begins to do with your life. You know, sometimes I'm asked to go and minister to people, maybe visit someone in a hospital or sometimes go to a conference or a church service where I'm asked to minister to them. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't always feel like, you know, I'm about to just float into the room and move in the power of the Spirit and, and, and fireballs are going to come out of my hand and all these amazing things are going to take place. No, I, I, I feel like you when we wake up Monday morning instead of good morning, Lord, it's good, Lord, it's morning and here we go again, here's another week and brilliant, okay, sometimes I don't feel like I've got what it takes, but I've learned that not to minister based upon my feelings, but to exercise my faith. If you don't feel it, that's okay. Just faith it in Jesus' name. Just make a decision that you can activate your faith. I love what Smith Wigglesworth says. He says, if I don't feel God moving, I move God. Now, I don't know how theologically correct that is, but I like the dude's boldness and I like his attitude because there's something about the gift of faith that starts to speak in tongues, that starts to lift up our prayer language and say, you know what? I don't feel it in my flesh right now, but I know I'm called. I know I'm anointed and I'm going to start to stir this gift up within me. 
God, come, what do you want to do right now? How do you want to move in this person's life? I don't always feel like the heavens are open and that God is giving me a clear word. And yet the anointing of prophecy has manifested in my life many ways. Why? Because I'm sensitive to that 10 cent slither of revelation from heaven. And I'm like, God, that's all I need to open the door. Just show me what you're saying and doing. Even just a brief whisper and I will step forward. And as I obey that in faith, it compounds with interest. The anointing of heaven will compound with interest upon your life as you begin to step out in faith and fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. And when you do that, you actually do the opposite of quenching the Holy Spirit. You actually become like a fire lighter and you start to partner with the fire burning in your heart instead of being a fire extinguisher. You see, when we treat the Spirit as an it, as a force, as a thing, and not as a person, that's when we quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an abstract force. The Holy Spirit is a person with personality, with feeling, can be grieved, and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. John Bevere said, the Holy Spirit is the most ignored person in the Godhead. Many people will often, you know, pray to Jesus, the Savior of their soul, as they get a revelation of the Father, they'll pray to the Father, but they don't, won't always acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you to wake up every day of your life with these words, good morning, Holy Spirit. What would you have for me today? How do you want to use me today? I'm available to you today. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. In other words, you've heard me say this before, but the Holy Spirit living inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our sanctifier, our counsellor. He is the literal, almighty presence of God. And can I ask us as a congregation and whoever, wherever you are across the world and whoever is watching this, never treat with contempt what God has called sacred. Don't despise it. Don't put it down. Don't put it in, you know, that's just the too hard basket or it's outside of my frame of reference and experience. Therefore, I will reject it. No, we need to wake up every morning with an openness to the Holy Spirit, with a willingness to talk to the Holy Spirit wherever we go, a heart to obey the Holy Spirit, a, a diligence to study the person of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures and a willingness to make space for the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to ask you, when was the last time you made space in your family for the Holy Spirit to come and move? Why do you have to wait until online church on a Sunday before you make space for the Holy Spirit? Why don't you get some devotional time with your kids or if you don't have kids with your spouse or if you're single, call up someone, Zoom someone, meet with someone and say, hey, let's spend some time in prayer. Why do you have to wait until your life group before you actually create space for the Holy Spirit? Let, 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 let's be real believers that just organically pursue this, that just go after this and are not clocking on and clocking off based upon the service time or the online time or the prayer power or the life group. Let's live this 24-7. Let's be a part of a church. Let's build a church. I want to lead a church that doesn't quench the Holy Spirit, doesn't become a spiritual fire extinguisher, but actually has the fire of the Holy Spirit burning continually, perpetually, 24-7. They talk about the Anzacs and the eternal flame. There is an eternal flame. It's the flame of the Holy Spirit. 
Spirit living and breathing inside of you. He wants a relationship with you. Don't control it. Don't restrict it. Doesn't matter what the restrictions may be upon us, the Holy Spirit can't be restricted. God wants to move in power in your life today. And I want to take a moment to actually pray with you, to encourage you, maybe help you repent a little bit and say, God, if I've teared people down with my words, if I've tried to control the spontaneity of the Spirit, if I've tried to unknowingly maybe quench your work in my life, God, today I present my body as a living sacrifice. I yield myself to you and I ask you to come and fill me again and make me whole. So why don't we pray together? And as we do, just close your eyes with me. You might want to lift your hands. You might want to get on your knees or lie down or wherever you are, do whatever you feels most natural and comfortable to you right now. But why don't we just pray together as we address this uh, in Jesus' name. Father, we just thank you for not only the gift of your son, Jesus, but the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we've not been left to our own devices, our own ability, our own strength, but that your presence is with us that, Lord, when we come to you in a spirit of humility and faith and we ask you to fill us with your spirit, that, Lord, you fill us with everything that we need to live the life that you've called us to. And, Father, today I pray for every single one of us that, God, you would help us to identify those moments, those words, those thoughts, those actions that would actually quench and restrict the moving of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that when we gather back together again, that there would be such a dynamic spiritual atmosphere and openness to the things of the Spirit, that Lord, we would not try and structure you out, but we would create space for you to move. But Lord, before we even gather together in our own lives, that we would look at our diaries, we would look at our lives, we would look at our families, we would look at ourselves and go, is there any space for the Spirit of God in my heart and in my life? God, we are asking today for you to move. God, you supply the fire, but we actually have to become the sacrifice. And God, we love you today. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. We ask you to forgive us for the times that we have restricted and, and quenched your spirit in our lives. The words we've spoken, the ways we've acted, with the neglect of our spiritual gifts. Today, God, we come to you with open hearts, open ears, open hands, and we say, God, come and revive us again so that we may praise you. Come and move, Holy Spirit, in our church, in our families, in our cities and in our nations, oh God. Lord, that we would bring glory and honour to your name and that you would move in power with great signs and wonders. Lord, that we would see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this today. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. 
Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.